Hey guys, welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Barb Stackhouse. The number one thing I would tell a dentist to do, if they were just going to do one thing, <laughs> is open a savings account and start funding. Start with 1% of all your collections. You're not going to miss it. Just start putting money in that account every week. And as soon as you can, increase that to 2%. And as soon as you can, increase that to 3%. And just let it grow for a while. Don't worry about those distributions until you get some cash built up for that rainy day fund. Um, give yourself a cushion. I think that's one of the biggest stressors in dentistry is worrying about making enough to pay the bills week after week after week. <laughs> you know, every week rolls around pretty regular and payroll comes around again. <laughs> Yeah. And those tend to be stressful weeks for dentists. And if you know you have a cushion, uh, if you know you can start setting aside, I guarantee you won't miss one percent. Guarantee. Barb worked for Dr. Michael Schuster for 12 years, and she learned a lot. We actually had Dr. Michael Schuster uh, on this podcast. It was at the very beginning, episode 49, and it's titled, What Can 39 Years Worth of Research Showing Us How to Skyrocket Our Dental Practices to Success Tell You with Dr. Michael Schuster? So that's a great episode. I'll put a link to it in, in the show notes below in case y'all guys want to check it out. But before you check it out, you want to listen to this wonderful episode. Barb Stackhouse is the author of Profit First for Dentists. And in this episode, she gives us proven cash flow strategies for financial freedom. Now, Profit First is a behavioral system. This is what she mentions. And it's actually a forward by Mike Michalowicz, the author of the best-selling book Profit First. I know many, many of you guys have read it. I read it. Such a fantastic book. I believe I even shared my notes with a lot of you guys um, in the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. Uh, but if you haven't read it, go read that book. It's a wonderful book. But Barb turned this book, uh, with the help of the author, Mike Michalowicz, into strategies that are tailored just for dentists, just for you, just for practice owners. So that's pretty amazing. And, and that's what that book is. Profit First for Dentists. And in this episode, we touch on all of that. And she gives us instructions on what we need to do to profit first and have more cash flow, which leads to uh, financial freedom. So first, Barb tells us what we need to understand, why we need specific systems. She lets us know how to create your own systems and how to have team members make their own systems as well. So she gives us the outline and steps to do this. She also lets us know how do you make sure that you're profitable when you are writing off procedures. I know this is kind of common and you're doing other things. So she gives us the step-by-step -step instructions for that. And she lets us know how to profit first with our hygienist or our hygiene department. She tells us if your overhead is too high in hygiene, that means it's too high in the practice. And she gives us steps on how to fix that as well. And we discuss so much more. So guys, without further delay, here is Barb Stackhouse. Barb, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for inviting me. No, thank you for having me. For those of you guys who are listening to the podcast, if you go on, uh, just go in the show notes below or if you're on the YouTube channel, check out the poster in the back. She's from Nashville. She's from Nashville, Tennessee. If you can tell me one thing to try and convince people to be like, got to visit Nashville, what would it be? I would say the food. It's a foodie town. I mean, it, we're known for music, but food is pretty amazing here. Yeah. Is country music pretty big out there too? 
It is, but honestly, you can find any kind of music here pretty much like 24-7, every night of the week. Really? Find live music, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's that's my favorite type of uh, music, country music. But I mean, like, I really, that's why I want to go visit, you know what I mean? Like, to see yes. and... It is. Country music is definitely predominant, but you can find any kind of music. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Awesome, Barb. So tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. I grew up on a farm out in the country in Indiana with cows and pigs and all that stuff and decided to go to dental hygiene school. Actually, through a friend who introduced me to that. And so I became a dental hygienist and was perfectly happy in private practice, raising two sons and my husband working and, you know, life, life goes on. And uh, then I decided I was going to go back to school. I wanted to teach dental hygiene. So I got my bachelor's and then I started working on my master's degree. And by this time, my kids were in college and we decided to make a move to Arizona. So I actually finished my master's degree in Arizona, but moving there then allowed me to meet Dr. Mike Schuster, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a very well-known dental consultant. And I actually worked in his practice and know, learned a lot of the consulting and teaching and the business side of dentistry. So just very grateful for that opportunity. Um, And then uh, after that, kind of going through all of that, I was there like 12 years, I guess. And both of our sons were out of school. They both ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. Hence, we are here. (laughs) Uh, They were getting serious, you know. So we moved here. I ventured out on my own. And I actually had a dentist who I was coaching, who told me about this book called Profit First, written by Mike Michalowicz. So I got a copy of the book, I started reading it, and immediately I knew this was a game changer because it's a behavioral system. I had a system before, but it worked sometimes, and a lot of times it didn't Mm -hmm. um, on the business side and the finances. And a lot of dentists, they're so busy, so, so busy working. They don't have time you know, to, to really dive in and understand the business side. So anyway, Profit First was like a, a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I contacted Mike McCallowitz. I said, hey, I am not a CPA. I'm not a bookkeeper. I'm a dental hygienist with some experience coaching and, and understanding the business side of dentistry. I would love to become a Profit First professional. Mm-hmm. And they accepted me. So I studied with him um, and then went on and studied and became a mastery level Profit First professional. And uh, then was able to write the book, which is on the other side of me <laughs> on the shelf. Um, so that's really been my journey is, is, you know, just through dentistry and being introduced to people. And it's, it's about networking and, uh, and having, you know, all these opportunities kind of fell into place. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. I help dentists with Profit First. Yeah. So Profit First for Dentists is the book, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Gotcha. Is it mainly for practice owners or just uh, any, any? Well, it certainly could help office managers who have a key role in the practice and, and know the numbers. But honestly, I will tell you, I prefer that the dentist be the one making the decisions and be in control of transferring their money and, uh, and doing their own profit first because it, then they know what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, not that they can't have assistance with other things, paying the bills, those kinds of things, but they're banking, they need to do it. So yeah. I like working directly with, with the owner. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. When you worked sure. for Dr. Mike Schuster, you said you worked for him 
12 years. Mm-hmm. What were some of the main key points that you were able to bring, like systems that you saw, things that you were like, his mindset, wow. And then what were some things where you were like, uh, he changed, it's changed now. Things have changed, right? Yeah, certainly that. Um, I would say, you know, number one, understanding structure in a business, the systems side, and knowing how to create systems and, and teaching teams and dentists to create their own systems because it can't be a cookie cutter thing. Every mm-hmm. practice is a little bit different. And I can't write a system for someone else and just say, here, go do it like this. There might be some similarities, things that, you know, could work, but each team needed to write their own systems. And when it's created by the people within, what I learned was they're much more likely to follow through with those. So that that's really some of the good things, you know, that just systems really for everything, protocols, mm-hmm. systems in your practice and getting the team on board you know, uh, in the boat, rowing in the same direction, right? Um, I think that one of the things, big things that's changed over the years is obviously how insurance reimbursement happens. When insurance first started, it was all indemnity insurance. So mm-hmm. the dentists weren't right, really writing off anything. Patients paid the difference. The insurance covered some, and patients paid the difference. If we now know that that's not true in today's world. So... Most every practice that I work with is dealing with adjustments to their production. And then how do we make sure we're profitable when we're having to write off 30% off the top? So those are some things that are, have definitely changed over the years um, that we've had to change things. We've had to, to look at ways to get around that and help them to still be profitable. Gotcha. I like that. Well, I kind of want to talk about that in a little bit. Like, how do you make sure that you're profitable? You're you're writing off quite a bit, right? But for that, you mentioned about creating systems and having the teams make their own systems. How could you give us like a a guideline or step-by-step almost kind of like, how do you even create your own system? Yeah. Well, I think first you have to understand why you even need the system. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to talk about with the team is, Why do we even need this? The truth is we all have systems and a structure in our life. We all have a way that we do things. And so so do team members. So they come into a practice, they bring with them their history, Mm -hmm. uh, the way they did it at the office before, or the way they think is the correct way to do it. So we do have systems. We just may not all be operating in the same system. So that's one of the reasons why we want to get together. But But I think you have to answer the question, why? If you are asking team members to get on board with you, with whatever the system is, they need to understand the why behind it. And as long as they understand that, usually there's there's not a problem. If if they understand that it's actually going to help everyone and allow us to work together, make a consistent experience for the patient and make our lives easier, Mm. typically, you know, that's fine. So you have a title. What What is the system? What's the why behind it? And then it's basically the who, what, when, where, how. You know, you just answer those questions, write it down in a document and keep a file, you know, Dropbox file or something like that where you have all of them. Then when there is a service failure, you can go back to the system and say, did we follow the system? Number one, that's the question. And number two, if we did and we still had a service failure, then we need to go back to the drawing board because something's not working in the system. Instead of pointing fingers at people, 
let's point fingers to the system and work together to change the system. Yeah. What systems would you kind of like, uh, I guess, call out where you feel like they, it's not always fine tuned in, in a practice, right? Like whether it's yeah. uh, handing off the patient to the front office, right? Or something like that. Like what, what would the system be for you where you're like, oh my God, this is happening all the time. Yeah, I would say and that that's a big one. Back office to front office. I hear that a lot. Um, and the feeling that there, you know, there's a communication breakdown between those. So, you know, that's certainly one of them. But, you know, each department really has their own set of systems. And then there are some systems that are, you know, office wide. How do you answer the telephone? I think that's huge. That That is a key system in any practice that everyone on the team understands how to answer the phone and what to do. Even, even if you're a hygienist and you happen to be standing there, if everyone else is busy and the phone is ringing, you should know how to answer it and at least get some information from that person or put them on hold and get them to the, the correct person to talk to. Uh, I think that's just like common sense kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a system, then you don't have consistency in how it's being done. I think that's a big one. You know, when patients arrive at the office, what do we do? How do we greet them? Um, how long are they expected to sit and wait for us? Are we ready? You know, are we, are we keeping our appointments on time? Those are all systems that impact that patient experience. And then, of course, you have the behind the scenes things, such as having team meetings, having mm-hmm. uh, a morning huddle, um, some kind of morning meeting really anything and everything that happens in the practice. If, if there is a breakdown, a system is probably needed. Gotcha. Gotcha. So systems are, it's almost like another job kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to make sure you're finding these systems, implementing them right when they're happening. Cause a lot of the times, I mean, you're, we're so boggled down in the day to day and doctors in the clinical right side of everything. I don't think they have the time all the time to stop what they're doing and be like, well, let's make a system for this right now. You know? Yeah, that's why we have team meetings. That, that's probably one of the other really important things to set up in a practice is regular team meetings. Now, you know, I, I hear from practices say, well, you know, we did team meetings for a while and then they, you know, we found they, we weren't productive. Mm-hmm. Agree 100%. If you're not productive in that meeting, it's a waste of time and money because it's expensive to have a meeting. However, if you have a plan and a structure for those meetings, where you know you're going to be writing all of these systems and those systems are going to then impact your efficiency as a team, they actually pay for themselves. Mm. So you think the team meetings should be for like, okay, let's bring up the issues that are having and let's figure out uh, the system for it. And at that time we create the system or like throughout the week or you know what I mean? I think there needs to be a set agenda. It's not a great session. I've Mm -hmm. seen that too many times where you know, everybody just comes to the meeting to voice their opinion or their gripe. That doesn't work either. I think that we have to have a structure and an agenda for that meeting that is planned in advance. Doesn't mean we can't put something on that agenda for the future. We can certainly bring up those things, but we have to plan those talks. And it's not just a a gripe session to complain about something, but we come with options and opportunities and ideas um, to mm-hmm. help the team and that we all can come and communicate together and everyone's voice can be heard. Gotcha. So then to you, what are some key points that 
should be in the agenda all the time. Like I, I've seen some meetings where it's like, all right, let's talk about our wins, right? And then let's talk about yeah. our losses. And so what do you think? I mean, I, I think it's nice to to share a win. We don't often pat ourselves on the back. Or I think it's really nice to recognize a, a team member who's gone over and above. Like, hey, I saw so-and-so do this. You know, thanks for doing that. But yeah, I think, you know, most of the time should be spent like, how are we serving our patients and what can we do better to make their experience more consistent, more in line with the vision of this practice? And, you know, of course, there will be other things that come up, but, you know, just really just scheduling, you know, all kinds of issues that happen in a practice and they can be handled in a team meeting if done properly. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So then if we rewind a little bit, you said also profit first is a behavioral system? It is. That's what I love about it. <laughs> Talk to me about that a little bit more. So the difference being like if, if you just kept track of everything on a spreadsheet, <laughs> that totally makes sense. Like it should work. Uh, hey, we're going to spend this on this and uh, we have this much money in the bank and uh, we can pay our bills, et cetera. But looking at a spreadsheet doesn't really motivate or change a behavior in how people handle their money or how they behave <laughs> with their money. The one common denominator for humans in general, this isn't just about dentistry, but all of us, when we want to pay bills or we want to make a purchase, what do we do? We are so behaviorally inclined to open our online banking check our bank account and see how much money we have. Mm-hmm. I do it. I mean, yeah. that, that's what we do. We look to see, do I have the money to make this purchase, right? Mm-hmm. So behave, that's a behavior. That is a behavior where we literally log in to our online banking. We've got our smartphones. It takes us all of one minute <laughs> yeah. to log in and see okay, hey, we can take that vacation or hey, we can make that purchase, whatever it is. But that's what we do. We open our our online banking. So that's the behavior. And what Mike Michalowicz did that was so genius was he realized that that behavior could be capitalized. And if we, all we had to do was take the money instead of having one account where everything flowed into that account and flowed out of that account when we paid bills, and there was some confusion as to do, do we really have that much or are there bills yet to pay? You know, if you have one account, it's hard to tell really how much do I have? Mm-hmm. And yet we base our decision on what's in the account on that day, knowing that that may not really be true, but we have. So his genius was let's create multiple accounts and store the money for a very specific purpose in each of those accounts. So all of the money flows into one account called the income account, but we don't pay any of the bills from that account. Mm-hmm. Once a week, the dentist would buy percentage, allocate and transfer money to four other accounts. So we would set up a profit account, hence profit first, and we would allocate and transfer to it first. An owner's compensation account a tax account for the income tax of the owner, and then an operating expense account to pay all of the bills. 
So every week we would be transferring a percentage into each of those accounts. And at any given time, you could open your bank account, you could see your accounts and you can see what you have for what purpose. So if you looked at your operating expense account, you could truly know this is what I have in my operating expense because I've already set aside my taxes. I've already set aside my profit. I've already set aside my owner's pay. Gotcha. So, I remember reading that. Uh, I, I remember him talking about like the, to set up two no temptations account or something like yes. that, right? Yes. And, and to yep. me, I thought that was brilliant. Well, when I read it, I thought it was brilliant because I was, yeah. it's always like, oh yeah. And then tax season comes and you're like, oh my gosh, I have all the, you know what I mean? And huh? yes. things like that. So, okay. When it comes to creating these five accounts, I guess, like, where do you feel like the behavior part plays into this? Like, so for example, the income comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Profit is, a, is, is money you take out, right? As like a bonus. Um, the owner's comp is regular form of income that comes from the business. Any money you take out to support your lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the tax and then the opera- operations expenses. Can there be, how do we allocate the percentages? How do we do all this, right? Like, yeah. for example, I'm like, I want to pay myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. How do I not go into the income and just, oh, well, just wipe the card, you know? Yeah. So the income account, really, we, every week, we kind of empty out the income account. So in this system, we are allocating every dollar that comes in as income. We're allocating it somewhere. It must have a purpose. So every dollar, think of it that way. Every dollar that comes in will have a purpose for it. And ahead of time, you know, there's an assessment that's done. And I explain all of that in the book, how to do a Mm -hmm. self-assessment. That's what I do to help dentists because they struggle with those things. Um, But we do an assessment. We figure out exactly for this dentist, for this practice, what are the percentages? And I give averages. I mean, I talk about all of that in the book. And, and it's, a dentist is pretty savvy. They could figure that out. Mm-hmm. Once you know the percentages, then we allocate to those accounts. And the no temptation accounts are actually an additional two accounts at a bank across town. So uh, I have my dentist take the, the temptation score. They have to score themselves and answer the questions such as, okay, if I didn't have money to pay the bills and my operating expense and I saw the money sitting in my tax account, would I steal from myself? Would I steal from my tax account to pay my bills? And if they say yes, I'm like, then you need a bank account across town where you can't get to it. Okay, because I just said yes. it difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yep, yeah. Yep. Or would you steal from your profit account, right? Mm-hmm. what's going to happen is the profit account and the tax account are going to have money that builds up in that account. So that money is going to be sitting there. It's been tagged and allocated for a different purpose. And all of a sudden you go, huh, you know, I don't have money over here. I need that money. And you're willing to steal from yourself. So, and I say steal because yeah. if that money belonged to somebody else, you wouldn't think of going and stealing from that person. But yet we're willing to steal from ourselves. So that's the no temptation accounts. And we put those in a bank across town. So if those are needed, we do that, right? Um, But otherwise, we we use those bank accounts at our main bank. And that money gets transferred every week. We understand what that money is for. 
And then we just go about doing our business and we pay our bills from the operating expense account. And when it's a week that we do a paycheck, we pay ourselves from the owner's comp. We pay our taxes from the tax account. And once a quarter, we get to take a distribution from the profit account as a reward for being the owner of the business. Mm -hmm. You know, I think to understand that um, entrepreneurs especially entrepreneurs like dentists who are the, the technician in their business as well. And there are other types of businesses the same, you know, uh, but the dentist is a technician. They get paid for being a dentist and just as if they would work for someplace else that they were a dentist, they would get paid for being a dentist, but here they are an owner. They don't necessarily always see the reward. So that profit account and the distribution that comes at the end of the quarter is their pay and their reward for all the risk that they take, all those things that they do as an owner, all that time that is put in behind the scenes. There's a reward for that. And they finally get to see the profit that they so deserve. Gotcha. Okay. Do you, do you find yourself, like you personally, do you find yourself doing this? Like the five accounts? Oh, yeah. Yes, I sure I, do. I feel like. Let me ask you this. Do any of your clients or anybody like ever wonder or get worried like, okay, well, I have to have a certain amount every time or else I'll get a charge to service fee and then all the, you know what I mean? Like all this other stuff or. Yeah. And we set that all up from the very beginning. We determine that from the beginning. And some banks are friendlier than others to the profit first model. Um, many banks are picking up on it and they're seeing how their clients are actually doing better. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, I think we can work with banks to figure that out. But the truth is that there may need to be a minimum amount. And if that's $500 or $1,000, no big deal. We'll just keep a minimum in that account and we won't go below that. that that's our zero now. Yeah. So we handle that if need be. Gotcha. Okay. I like, uh, this is very, very interesting. And I like how you say steal instead of take too, because <laughs> I mean, like when you say it like that, I'm like, oh, I'm stealing from myself or I'm stealing. It, it sounds so... <gasps> Right. But when you're just taking I'm like, hey, it's, it's mine. I made it anyways. I got to take it. Right. And then we we tend to justify. So you're so right. It's a behavioral thing. So what pushback do you normally see from practice owners with this profit first model? I think they either love it or they they're just like, I don't really need that. I'm already doing fine. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is if you feel like you're as profitable as you can be and you are happy with that, you have to want this. You have to want something different. You have to recognize that, hey, I could be more profitable or I'm really struggling here. I need some help. I don't have any systems on my, on the business side. You know, most dentists do have some systems in place with their team. They just do. And, and there's a lot of great coaches out there. I mean, I've, I've done it myself. There's many, many colleagues out there who do great work with teams. And develop these systems that not very many dentists have written systems in place on the financial side of their business and simple systems. Like you don't need a lot of them. Like this is so simple. In 10 minutes a week and about an hour a month, you can know exactly where you stand using the profit first system. Yeah. It's just so simple. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so is that, let's dive into like your business then a little bit here, Barb. Is that what you do? Like specifically, what's your area of expertise? So uh, my, I think my superpower, if you will, is really being able to tear apart the numbers 
and put it back together to simplify it and make sense of it for dentists. There's so many things that seem confusing. So organizing the money, getting systems in place and making it simple and making it make sense for dentists. I think that's really my superpower. Now, you know, do I continue to coach and and have an understanding of teams and the dental hygiene department and all of that? Yes, absolutely. So on top of Profit First, I think I really truly do understand the dental hygiene department and how to make that department profitable as well. So we look at that as a business within a business and the hygienist having ownership of that department and understanding goals and understanding the expenses that they incur as well. Yeah. So there's a profit first model for hygiene too or no? Yeah. Well, that's what I do. Uh, so yes, as part of what a, a dent, when a dentist works with me, yes, I, I teach how to separate that out. And the hygiene department assumes a portion of all of the expenses in the practice other than lab. They don't have any lab bills. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, you know, there are team members such as the admin team who help the dental hygiene department just like they do the dentist. They, all the patients come in through that. They check them in, they check them out, they schedule appointments, all those things. There's supplies that are used in a, in a hygiene department. The hygiene department utilizes space in the practice. So, you know, there's rent, there's utilities, all those things. So I actually have my own software that I um, had developers create. And, but it was, you know, my creation as to what was going to go in there. And so when I said in 10 minutes a week and about an hour a month, takes dentists, maybe about 20 minutes, but I say an hour um, to enter some statistics into this portal online. And they do get a hygiene profitability report along with their practice profitability and their time utilization in their practice. Because time is money in a dental yeah. practice. So then what would be... How, well, I guess like if you could tell us, like how is the what what are the specific percentages to look out for for that? What sure? How can you do you ever feel like whenever you implement this with the hygienist, the hygienist feels like overwhelmed or or no or or even you know, better? I most of the time they want to know. Okay. I find that they're in the dark. They don't know, and as a hygienist, you're just doing what you think is best. You're following a schedule that someone else created for you you know, and and put patients in there. So once they learn that this can be a tool to be intentional then, and, you know, they can actually earn more rewards by being a part of and being responsible for uh, their department. So it goes both ways, you know, they, I I think they like it really, honestly. I mean, maybe there are some that don't, but for the most part, I find that it's, it's very positive. They like having goals. And they like knowing where they stand with those goals, just like everyone else in the practice. So I think there's a level of maturity, maybe, that, that it takes. And there certainly could be some who, you know, prefer not to know or, you know, don't want to, I guess. Um, but for me, most of the hygienists that I've worked with, I, I find that it's the way we approach it. it. It's not a pointing fingers. It's that, hey, how can I help you? Uh, how can we work together? And And I tell the doctors too, you know, if your overhead is too high in your hygiene department, it means your overhead's too high in your practice because they didn't make the decisions you did as the dentist. 
So mm-hmm. you made those decisions and your expenses are too high, that's going to carry over into their department. They, they can't help that. Uh, so it's a team effort. It's, it's not just dumping it onto the hygienist. It's really giving them information, but then everybody understanding this is what we need to do. Gotcha. And so the percentages to look out for for a hygienist, would that be the kind of like the same percentages overall in the practice too? Or what? what no, that's is- a little different. Um, I mean, the rule of thumb as far as uh, production goes, and this mm-hmm. is just across the board in the industry, is the hygienist is expected to produce three times their compensation. That's just kind of a rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Again, depending on the overhead for the practice, and I'll just, I'll throw out some numbers. If we're talking total overhead, like all of the operating expenses, including loan payments. I include the loan payments in there because that's cash going out the door. This is a cash flow system, cash in, cash out. Mm-hmm. And for a, a practice who is contracted with PPO plans and they're highly dependent on their, I would say the range is going to be you know, ideally, I like to see about 67% overhead. And again, that includes debt payments. I typically, a lot of times I see 75% and more in those practices. Uh, for a practice who is not contracted with insurance companies, we can be anywhere from the 50 to 60% range. It's, it's quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. So hygienists then would assume a portion of that for their department. Ideally, in an ideal world, uh, the hygienist would produce three times their compensation and we would see about a 15% profit margin in the hygiene department. Gotcha. Right now, for those who are listening, if they're like, we're not, I don't even, I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't even think we even, we're even touching that. What would be some of the things that we can start doing now to, to boost our hygiene? The very first thing is to sit down and write out what is your mix of services in your hygiene department? You know, we do that with dentists. We, mm-hmm. we look at what types of services do they provide? What, what are you going to refer out? What are you going to keep in? You can do the same with your hygiene department. What are the things that, that hygienists do? Um, and are we being compensated for all of those things? I find that there are many things that hygienists are already doing. They're just not being compensated for it. So one is, you know, or the oral cancer screenings. We've always included that in an exam, but now we know there are ways to do that even at an even higher level. Mm-hmm. And we can be compensated for that. Um, are your hygienists doing sealants? Are your, I mean, what, what is the mix of services? What do your hygienists know how to do? Uh, are they, do we have a periodontal therapy program? Are we keeping that in house? When do we refer out? Those are all great questions. And, you know, when do we determine if a patient is having periodontal problems again? Let's, let's say they did initially when they came in and we've had them in periodontal maintenance and all of a sudden, you know, there's a problem again. Well, do we stop and note that there's a problem and really do therapy or do we just try to clean their teeth and charge them for a perio maintenance and yet we didn't really do the service for the patient that we should have? Mm-hmm. So things like that, just really stepping back. And, and this is where you've got to have the time to have a meeting. You can't do this in a busy day where you're seeing patients all day long. You have to be able to step back and say, okay, what are we doing? 
And what do we want to do? Yeah. And that's something we said we have to do in every single meeting. And I like that because uh, I believe in the book, it, it also tells you like to evaluate yourself, right? Make, make, find where your inefficiencies are, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like a thing like that. Doesn't he say something like it's smarter to dig a well than to try to make it rain or something yeah. like that? And it's yeah. true. Like you got to really uh, think about these things. So then mm-hmm. to you, just it's kind of like a general question, but I mean, at the same time, if we can like hone in on it, what can a dentist or practice owner specifically, right? And if we can even hone in a little bit more, almost like someone who is starting out one to five years, right? What can they do today to improve their business? The number one thing I would tell a dentist to do, if they were just going to do one thing, mm-hmm. is open a savings account and start funding. Start with 1% of all your collections. You're not going to miss it. Just start putting money in that account every week. And as soon as you can, increase that to 2%. And as soon as you can, increase that to 3%. And just let it grow for a while. Don't worry about those distributions until you get some cash built up for that rainy day fund. Um, Give yourself a cushion. I think that's one of the biggest stressors in dentistry is worrying about making enough to pay the bills week after week after week. (laughs) You know, every week rolls around pretty regular and payroll comes around again. (laughs) Yeah. And those tend to be stressful weeks for dentists. And if you know you have a cushion, uh, if you know you can start setting aside, I guarantee you won't miss one percent. Guarantee. Just just set it aside. And yeah. then when you, you get in the habit, it's all about building a habit. It's behavior. And then move it to two percent and, you know, work your way up. I mean, I actually have a dentist now who's doing 20 percent every week. Many, many, many who are doing five and upwards of 10 percent. Think about what that means for your business. By doing that, you're automatically saying, I'm not going to spend that money. Whereas if it was in the account before, likely we would have opened the account and said, I have the money there, I'm going to make that purchase. So what it does for us mentally is helps us be more resourceful we automatically become more frugal when we don't have the money over sitting over here in the operating expense account, it's now in the profit account. And when we see that money building up and growing in that profit account, there's that reward there. Like, yes, I'm making headway. You know, build yourself a rainy day fund, number one. And then, you know, start taking profit distributions too. You, you can do both. And just understanding a profitability model rather than just thinking you have to make the wheels go faster and produce more. Sometimes it's more about understanding profit and reducing expenses rather than running faster. Yeah, I like that a lot. I feel like that's the, I don't know. I mean, even to me, I think about it, what you say, and it's more like, oh, I need to make more sales, right? In order to make more profit, it's simple as that. But I guess we really don't think about that, the... And maybe you do, you know, maybe someone does, especially a startup, right? There's a lot of holes in the schedule. We're just trying to fill it. I I get it. I understand. But you you take an established practice, there probably aren't a lot of holes in the schedule. The schedule's full. So how, how will we produce more? Maybe we add another provider. You know, that's pretty common. 
whether that's a hygienist, uh, an associate, if it's an associate, now we're also adding probably another assistant. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to understand here is that adding that extra provider also is increasing your operating expenses. Yeah. And unless you are intentional about it, you will, your overhead will increase at the same rate and you'll end up taking home the same amount. And you're managing more people and seeing more patients. And yet you haven't seen an increase. So it can be done. It has to be planned correctly to do that. But I help a lot of dentists who come to me and say, I hired the associate. I, I hired the hygienist. I did all the things to grow, yet I'm not taking home any more money. What's going on? And that's where, you know, we, they need to learn the profitability model, not just the production model. So in that scenario, because that's super common right there, Barb, like mm-hmm. uh, what, what yeah. would happen? What, where would we scale back and be like, all right, this is what you need to look at first and do and take away and all these things. And I take this from Mike McCallowitz. This, this was not my idea. So I give him full credit in his book. And, and I talk about it in Private First for Dentists as well. If you're thinking, let's, let's just use the hygienist example. If you're thinking that you need to hire a hygienist, <laughs> then you need to start setting aside some money, open another account, open a, another savings account start funneling some money over there and get four to six months worth of wages for this person in that account. Because we know history has proven that when you hire someone new, there will always be a little bit of a dip before you come up. There's training for that person. We don't, we maybe don't have the number of patients completely yet to support them. We need to be able to have that money set aside And if you can do that, if you can start setting that aside and you can still pay your bills, then you'll know, okay, when they come on board, we'll be okay until we see the growth. Gotcha. So start setting money aside for like, so, I mean, like that, that would be everybody. Like if everybody who starts out, they're like, okay, we have just one front office and one. Adding any employee. That's right. And, and that's what Mike McKellowitz says to do. If you're thinking about hiring and another employee starts setting aside some money to see if you can do it. Can you afford that person? Now, obviously, we want that addition of that person to be able to increase our revenue. So it's, you know, it's a catch-22. I get it. We're always going to be working at increasing revenue and decreasing expenses. But here, in this situation, we're increasing expenses. We know we're going to have to increase revenue. But until we can make sure that that is consistent, we need the money set aside so that we're not going in the hole. Because here's what happens. The person gets paid. There are other bills that don't get paid. And then we use a credit card. And then the dentist says, oh, I have credit card debt and I can't pay it off. How many times does that happen? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then that's how you, you don't want, you won't even have to do that with, with the separate money that you're, you're setting aside. Okay. Have, throughout this model, do you ever see like some people who say like, uh, yeah, maybe I can't do an associate. Like I need it. I need it so bad, but I can't do it. What would be the second option then? Like, the well, I think they can do it eventually. Uh-huh. So what I would say to somebody who's thinking, I really need an associate, you're going to have to put the time in and, and you're going to be working extremely, it's going to feel extremely hard 
like the wheels are almost falling off because you're putting in a lot of hours. But that's what happens because then when you hire that associate, you're going to like all those patients are going to go over to that associate and it's going to relieve you of the craziness that you've been doing. But you don't want it to impact your income. You, you don't want to hire an associate and, you know, give them part of your patients and now your income goes down. You do, that's what you don't want to happen. So you have to kind of get to a point where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It's so busy. I have to have this person. Mm-hmm. And you've been already now setting aside some money for this person and bingo, it's time. You can do it. And it works. Yes. So it's just, it's all about thinking through the whole plan and making sure you're, you have the financial resources to do it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. So now these next questions are just to get into the head of someone who isn't totally involved on the clinical side, right? Of dentistry. So from you, Barb, what would you like to see more from a dentist, whether it's from your business standpoint, right? Or whether it's from a patient standpoint where you're like, oh, I I wish this was more happening. Yeah. You know what? I would really love to see dentists feel more relaxed and that they could spend more time with their patients. I think they are rushed so much. And a lot of times it's the finances. It's the worry back here on the shoulder saying, hurry up, hurry up. You only have so much time for this appointment. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they get on, I call it roller skates. I mean, they, they're, they just feel like they're constantly under pressure, moved to the next room. You know, it's the next patient. I would love for dentists to have peace of mind and be able to relax and know that financially they are okay. And I believe when that happens, then they're more relaxed with their patients. They have, a, they, they form those deeper relationships. They take that time with their patients. And to me, that's what dentistry is all about. Do, doing great dentistry means that you don't have the worry of all that other stuff and you can really focus on the care for that patient. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I mean especially on like those higher end, like, you know what I mean? Where they're getting tons and tons of need. I think there would have to be something, uh, an issue there, right? If you feel like, oh, we're getting a, we've been open for over a decade, right? And we're getting a hundred new patients every single month or something like that. Something's wrong in the back door, right? Where it's like, where's the retention? Why are you still feeling yeah. like this? Yep. Have you noticed that? Well, unless there's five doctors in the practice, then, <laughs> then you need a hundred new patients. So every mm-hmm. practice is different. But yes, I think you must monitor the number of new patients coming in, but also how many patients are leaving that are, that are falling out of your recare system with your hygienist. Yeah, that has to be monitored. It's, we can't just have people coming in the front door and going out the back, like you said. Uh, mm-hmm. That doesn't grow our practice. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. And next question I want to ask you is, what right now do you just hate or dislike about dentistry? <laughs> I feel like the many of the pressures are from the lower reimbursement rates mm-hmm. that dentists are facing. Uh, and on top of that, the increased cost of supplies. You know, since the pandemic, we know things have changed. They actually have more things they have to purchase um, because we have added responsibilities now and protecting our patients and ourselves. So I think it's twofold. I think that, you know, they feel this crunch that, hey, my expenses are going up um, and I'm actually bringing home less because of, of these reimbursements just aren't keeping pace 
with um, inflation and the cost of living. So I, I think that's a huge stress that they have. And I, I would love to see that we could make some progress in that area to help dentists. It's, it's really tough. I, I actually read a post the other day. It was in one of the groups with dentists. And this was a dentist who's been in practice for, you know, 25 years. And he had a patient come in and he said he looked back 20 years prior to the same service. You know, this person was in for a prope and an exam and x-rays, I think, bite wing x-rays. And the fees are not much different from 20 years ago to what the reimbursement is today. That is sad to me. Mm -hmm. That is very sad. Yeah. I feel like that's why there's like a huge like drop the PPOs, right? Drop the insurances type of like yeah. movement right now. Everybody wants to kind of let it go. And honestly, they kind of start can't, they, I mean, getting the right membership plans, right? Doing what they can. providing. There the are right. many steps they can take to move towards that. Absolutely. Yeah. And the profit model, I feel like, honestly, not just because like we're talking to you, but at the same time, like, I think that helps a lot. You know what oh, I mean? For sure. Absolutely. It does. It, it gives confidence. It gives freedom. When you know you have cash in the bank, and you have, you have that cushion there. It gives you the freedom to make those decisions. Yeah, definitely. Okay, awesome. And then right now, what do you love, absolutely love about dentistry? Oh, I've always loved dentistry. Um, what do I love about it the most? You know what? I think there's never been a time where the level of care, you know, you talked about some of the larger cases, the complexity of, of cases, you know, seeing how dentists really, truly change lives it happens when people can smile, when they can eat, when they can talk, when they can chew their food, it changes lives. And, you know, that's been going on for years and years and years. But I think now more than ever, we have resources like implants, like so many new technologies that help us to deliver this care that is amazing. So I love dentistry and I love how it helps people. Yeah, that's nice. Awesome. And then one of the last questions I want to ask you is looking at this from a general population standpoint, right? Like you, we, you and I, we both have to go to the dentist, right? Mm -hmm. What needs to change for people to be more open to dentistry? I think that people rely too much on this, what we call dental insurance. Um, and they think they have to have insurance to go to the dentist. It's, it's not proven. People who do have dental insurance go to the dentist more or these membership plans, you know, getting, getting patients into a membership plan in your practice. It's been proven that they will go to the dentist more. So they are very dependent on that. Um, rather than people just really understanding that if you take the responsibility for the preventive care and you make sure, you know, that's happening, then chances are you're not going to need all of those other things. You know, we're, we're not going to have the problems. So I just, I feel like we've done a disservice um, because dental insurance is not like medical insurance. You and I know that, but the general public doesn't always understand that dental insurance doesn't operate the same as medical insurance. If you go back in history, insurance was created for catastrophes. And Yet still dentistry, you know, dental insurance, they cap it every year at what, $1,000, $1,200. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a catastrophe. 
pretty much we could come up with that, right? Yeah. That's not a catastrophe. Whereas if you look on the medical side, somebody who's in the hospital, you know, has cancer, you know, the, those things are big, big, big bill, bills. You know, that's a lot. That's, that's really life altering. And that's why we have insurance. So I just feel like people don't understand what dental insurance is and isn't. And it's, it's not like medical insurance. And honestly, if we all just took responsibility for our own preventive care, I think we'd all be much better. Yeah. That's my opinion. <laughs> no, yeah, I 100% agree. A lot of people believe that a lot more. Their, their insurance, you're like, oh, my insurance doesn't cover it? Okay, well, I only want to do whatever it covers, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, you need so much more. It's going to get worse, but, right. but that's what they believe, right? So, no, I get you 100%. Awesome, Barb. Thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, ProfitFirstDentist.com is my website. And if you would like to reach out to me and um, have a conversation, go to call.barbstackhouse.com. Awesome. So guys, that's going to be in the show notes below as always. So feel free to check that out. And Barb, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And Barb, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. We truly appreciate it. Guys, if you want to talk to Barb a little bit more, or if you want to check out her book or anything like that, go in the show notes below. Um, reach out to her. You can also uh, reach out to her on the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes below. It's a free Facebook group, guys. So go ahead and join that. And at the same time, if you haven't yet, if you like what you're listening to, please do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes. Uh, it helps me out so much and it lets me know how I'm doing as well. So please, if you can, uh, put pause right now if you want and go drop a review on iTunes on this podcast. Thank you guys so much for doing that. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I truly, truly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.